0: But I know Hebrew for God is here, (laughs) Emmanuel. God is with us. He's the with us God. And we can be so convinced that the stuff that catches our attention, the distractions that are other places are more real. But I'm telling you, the most real thing is that God is with us here now. That our redemption happens from the inside of this life. We don't have to leave this life to get redeemed. We don't leave this life to get saved. We do it as we sit with the very details, the very everydayness of our life. While you're turning there, um, just a quick reminder: if you're if you haven't been here before, we kind of have, we have these things called connection cards in our bulletin. We would love for you to fill them out um, if you trust us with your information. We won't um, <laughs> we won't spam you. Um, we won't send you sign you up for any mailing lists um, without your permission. Uh, but we, it is a way for us to connect to you and um, to possibly. Just kind of get a sense of where, where you are, what you're about, um, and, and kind of, I don't know, we would, we would hope that uh, there might be a way for us to connect more deeply uh, than just one service on a Sunday morning. So, um, so that's what those are for. There's actually a box by the door as you walk out. I think it's on the left side right now. It's a little wooden box. You can slip those in there. All right, Matthew 1, verse 18 to 25. And he called his name Jesus. Um, Let's pray. Lord God, in thanks and praise for your saving help in our lives. Uh, For the ways to which you were not content to leave us on our own, Father. But you, you came after us. When we were unfaithful, you came after us. When we abandoned you, you came after us. When we wanted to try to do things on our own, Lord, you pursued us. And now, Lord, as we come into this moment where you are glorified by entering into our very own life, by entering into what it is to be human, into a human body, into a human family, into the limitation of a human life, Lord God, we thank you and we praise you that you did something that no other God has ever done. May we keep our ears and our eyes open to the ways that you are entering into our world and into us, even now, even today. Amen. Amen. Well, it's the fourth week of Advent, um, which means there are four candles lit, and um, and they're much more than just this kind of idea of hope, peace, joy, and love. Uh, We sort of use those themes to kind of help direct ourselves during this period, but um, but really, the, the hope in these candles is that we're looking forward to the, the lighting of the Christ candle, uh, this way of saying Christ is here, Christ is present, uh, and as much as Christ has always been present, we kind of have this special recognition of it in this moment. And, and as we, if you've been paying attention to the readings, you may have noticed we've gone kind of from big sort of questions, right, John the Baptist at the beginning, it's like, hey, Leave your, um, leave your way of living, turn aside from your greed, turn aside from your selfishness, turn aside from all the ways that you have been doing this thing on your own, and instead come to Christ. And those first couple weeks are really, they're really uncomfortable for us, especially coming out of Thanksgiving, because the, the focus is really on repentance. It's on turning, it's on changing, it's on admitting that we have sinned and trying to learn how to do something different. And then we have this big, in my mind, it's a big sort of celebration of joy last week. The the rose candle, um, which is a fancier word for pink. Uh, (laughs) But the point is that we're looking after, we're looking forward to what is coming. And as we look forward, we live in the kind of joy that's only possible when you know what God is bringing. This week, though, we get a little smaller. It's not quite as big as John the Baptist and Mary and Elizabeth. It's a little bit more kind of just everyday inside the, uh, the experience of Joseph. We're brought into that small and limited experience of that family. We see into Joseph's head, kind of literally in his dream. We work to follow the Lord through all of that. I don't know about you, for me, I don't think about Joseph all that much. His story is kind of told in Matthew, Mary's story is told in Luke, Mark and John don't have a nativity story, they don't have a Christmas story per se. There are things that remind us of Christmas in those Gospels, but they don't have the same kind of thing. And so it's only here in this one Gospel that we get the story of Joseph. And honestly, he's just, he's a little bit further down the line than Mary is. But he's really central. He's really central to the story. And sometimes we write him off, we just kind of go, okay, he's like Jesus' stepfather. um, And we sort of do that whole thing. But in reality, Joseph really is more than just sort of a stepfather or an adopted father. He is the legal father of Jesus, right? If you pay attention to those genealogies that connect Jesus to David, which is a big deal, right? That Jesus is the son of David, that he comes in that lineage, it matters because it means that he has a claim on the kind of life that, the Israel, that, the, that Israel, that the Jews at this point should be living. And that lineage is tracked through Joseph, his legal father. And yet when we think about Joseph's life, you kind of wonder whether or not he had doubts at any point. What kind of doubt might have slipped into his mind? You know, was the dream more than just a dream? Was it really an angel who came and spoke to me and told me to take Mary as my wife? Or was that just me wanting to do that? So I conjured it up. How can I be raising this child as my own? How can I be raising this child as my firstborn? Sort of remind you of all the adoptive parents who open up their lives and their homes, grandparents who take in their grandkids, people who open up their lives in ways that they don't have to. Not that they shouldn't, it's just that they don't have to, and they could maybe wriggle out of that responsibility if they wanted to. And you realize Joseph is a lot like that, opening up his heart, his family, his whole life to one who is biologically not his, living out of the fullness of that love. And then as he raises the young Jesus, I mean, he, he teaches him, right? Right? We know that he taught Jesus a trade. He taught him carpentry, which also, interesting, it might have been also masonry, right? So he's working with both wood and stone in Nazareth. As all of these cities, historically, you look back, Romans were building all these cities up in that northern part of Israel. And so Jesus and Joseph are getting hired here and there to go build a housing development over here to go put in a road over here. And I could just see them on their cart moving along in their donkeys. All right, you know, with Joseph and son sort of painted along the the backside of that donkey. (laughs) Trucking along onto the next job. And all along the way, as they're building furniture and roads and houses, Joseph is telling Jesus stories. He's pointing... (laughs) out into the field and telling stories about the workers who are out in the fields. He's telling him the stories of scripture. He's recounting to him the Torah and how do you be a fair and just and wise and righteous businessman? What do you do when somebody tries to cheat you? When do you, what do you do when somebody makes it really easy for you to cheat them? He walks with Jesus, because carpenters, I mean, those of you that renovate bathrooms and build buildings, you you go into people's houses. Some of you see more about their lives than you want to see. That's Jesus and Joseph entering into people's lives, watching the kind of ups and downs of the season, seeing what it would have been like to live under Roman oppression. Somebody who really needs a new silo, a new barn built but can't afford it because tax day is coming up. Joseph accompanied Jesus in those early years that formed his imagination, that would have shaped his understanding of the world as he said, wait a second, I'm more than just Joseph's legal son. I'm the son of God and the son of man. Joseph also sees that the world's solutions to the problems that his people encounter are terribly unsatisfying. He's a just man, the scripture says. And the word just doesn't mean he's just a man. Uh, the, The word just is like justice, right? But that justice, it's the same word actually for righteousness. So he's not just a just man, he's a righteous man. Joseph is not willing to cheat And no doubt he's resistant to being cheated. We don't see in Joseph anything that wants to enact vengeance. You know, here he is. He's betrothed to this woman. He's engaged to this woman, which is in all things except the sort of central final act, he is married to Mary, legally even. So even without having married her, in order for him to break off the betrothal, there has to be an actual divorce. And yet when she apparently, obviously we know does not, but when she apparently breaks that covenant, he doesn't seek vengeance against her. What does it say? That he goes to divorce her quietly. He doesn't look for his pound of flesh among the one who he thinks has wronged him. There were public forms of divorce. There were ways of divorcing somebody publicly that everybody would have known about, that everybody would have seen, and that would have been a mark on you for the rest of your life. And yet Joseph doesn't choose that way. And cultures everywhere, always, have always had a way of taking women, taking people who have had something shameful happen and kind of shipping them off somewhere else. They just sort of disappear. And it's not good. I imagine that's what a quiet divorce probably would have been like, that Mary would have just gone to a relative's house in another town and had the baby and grown up there. But Joseph chooses, you notice, he chooses the most righteous option available to him. He chooses the thing that's going to cause the least amount of harm to anybody else. How can I do what I know that I need to do, right, which is to end this relationship, but do it in a way that does not harm her? When the angel, when God does not allow Joseph to do that, he listens. God calls Joseph to a more difficult path. He calls him to bear Mary's shame along with her. Because here's the thing. Did Mary deserve shame? No. But would Mary have received shame? Yes. Right? Would people have seen her as somebody who had broken that vow? Yes, they would have. But God doesn't leave Mary alone in that. He doesn't leave Jesus alone in that. He calls a just and a righteous man, Joseph, to walk with them and to shoulder I had a pastor who always said that the rib, the picture of Adam and Eve, right, the rib is taken out of Adam's side, not out of his foot so that he can conquer over her, and not out of his head so that she can conquer over him, but rather out of his side so that he can protect her. I don't know if that's perfect exegesis, but it certainly gets us where we want to go. <laughs> and Joseph lives that kind of life, of protecting and sheltering Mary and Jesus, of being the kind of husband that he should have been. He takes and he holds that shame on their behalf. No doubt he shielded them throughout their lives from whispers and assumptions that he would hear when he was out in town about who Jesus' daddy really was, or what kind of woman Mary really was. And yeah, I'm convinced that like a stone arch that doesn't have any mortar holding it together, it's only the integrity of that structure is in the materials themselves. You know what I'm talking about? That as you stack up stones and no doubt, Jesus and Joseph found themselves building exactly that kind of thing from time to time. Joseph's life held up like one of those arches. He didn't need something external to prove him true, to prove that he was full of integrity. The integrity was present in the very materials themselves. His life becomes this invisible undeniable fact of their strength and i wonder if joseph was ever confronted by anyone or who he told about the dream did he only tell mary and jesus do you think he had some close friends that he shared that with joseph is this really your child I'd guess that by watching the relationship between Joseph and Jesus, you would have gotten no hint of any difficulty or division between the two. Joseph serves as a model for all fathers. He serves as a model for all men. He serves as a model for all leaders, for everybody who would put out an arm or a wing over somebody else, even for natural fathers. I don't know if you've ever looked at your, let's say, natural kids and you just go, where'd they get that? (laughs) There's a sense in which your kids, even the ones who kind of come from you physically, biologically, are not yours. They don't belong to you. Legally, maybe, but ultimately, even they are God's. God's with an apostrophe, right? Not God's plural. They belong to God. You are caring for them. But they don't, they're not here to serve your purposes, parents. You are ultimately here to serve God's purposes in their life. I'd hope that we would all be like Joseph. That we would defend and lay down our lives so that their true nature, which has been given to them by God, would have a chance to emerge. That we would serve, that we protect, that we would defend so they can become who God wants them to be. Last week at Starbucks, at, uh, I was sitting there writing and uh, dad walks in <laughs> with his daughter. They're both wearing, you know, it's like 9 a.m. On, on a Saturday morning and here comes his dad. He's, they're both wearing bathrobes and slippers <laughs> as they walk in. She's got like this like pink fluffy thing and, and he just looks at me and he goes, it's daddy-daughter day. Like, <laughs> you know, like it couldn't have been anything else. <laughs> And, and I love that picture because that's Joseph. Like, I'm going to go out into the world in a way that makes me vulnerable. I'm going to look a little bit silly, but I'm going to do it for the sake of my child. Right? I'm going to be here in this way, even though I really don't want to be standing here in public in a bathrobe. I'm going to be here like this for the sake of my girl. So that she knows that I care about her so that she knows that I will extend myself for her, that I will put myself out there for her. And Joseph is this righteous husband who listened to God, who chose faithfulness to the word of God over the honor of his culture. And you know, to become that kind of person, to become that kind of man, you've got to start giving pride of place to God's word now. You've got to start to listen and to respond to God's word now in this moment. It doesn't happen all of a sudden at the moment that you need it down the road in the midst of crisis. You give God's word pride of place now in your life. You learn to respond to God's voice now. And then when you need it, then that thing bubbles to the surface. But it it has to begin to develop and build here in this place, in this moment. And to be honest, I was trying to think, there's not that many good examples of families in Scripture. It's like King David's family, it's, they're, a, they're a hot mess. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're all just like falling apart at the seams. How did God use these people? But you got Mary and Joseph, you have Hannah and Elkanah, Samuel's parents. You got like the Proverbs 31 woman. I don't know if that's even a real person, but let's say she is. (laughs) There's not that many. But Joseph is there. He doesn't neglect any small detail when it comes to justice and righteousness. You know, he doesn't hang up his righteousness at the door when he goes out to work. He's a just and righteous man when he's on the job as much as he is at home. And he doesn't leave it at work and then come home and be this righteous, just person outside publicly, but then when he gets into private spaces, all that just goes out the window. He is full of integrity. And that's what we're called to be. We're meant to be more than just slaves of our desires. But our discipleship ought to permeate every moment of our lives. And in case you don't know it, I know it's easy for me to say because in some sense, I don't know, I get paid to do this, Um, (laughs) but you can be a disciple (laughs) in your work, in your job. You can be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You can pray as as you clean and as you run errands, as you do the small things around the house, You can remain open to God's grace even then, even then. You know, the tendency in our culture, I, the chief of sinners am, (laughs) is to be distracted at every moment, okay? I say this as a confession, right, Mo? Uh, But there's always an email to check. There's always a text or a phone call to take. There's always music or a podcast to be listened to. There's always something to kind of distract your mind from where you are at the moment. But God is hungry for those little corners in your life. God wants those little quiet moments. He wants you bored in the grocery store checkout line so that you can pray for the people who are around you. He wants you to take that frustration and that difficulty, those little empty spaces, and to use them to offer them up to Him instead. Joseph, I'm convinced, carried with him the small daily prayers that would have filled his mind at work as he's riding between one job and another. I have no doubt that Joseph suffered for living this way. I am sure that he lost some jobs because he married Mary. I'm sure he wasn't always welcome at the local market, coffee, I don't know what they had. What did they have? (laughs) Somebody tell me. (laughs) At the local watering hole, yeah, (laughs) right? Yeah. I'm sure he didn't always get quick admission into the little boys' club. as People were gathered around and talking about things. Because righteousness is not always received well. Even in the church. Even where it should be. People are often resistant to those who are just and righteous. But our task is to be the kind of people where that kind of life is encouraged where it's called out of our young people, where it's called out of our kids, where it's expected of our young adults, where they're pushed and challenged to try to say, here is this exciting, actual, adventurous kind of life. That the life of sin leads you down a bunch of dead ends, but life that is lived within God is a never-ending, unfolding adventure. And so often we want to be around people for what they can offer us. We want to be around somebody because they have something to give us because they're going to connect us to somebody that we want to know because we have something to get out of that relationship. But Jesus calls us to a different kind of life. Joseph shows us how to live a life that's full of limitation. He marries Mary, but he doesn't know Mary. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's what the Scripture's doing, okay? (laughs) He doesn't know her in the way that a husband and a wife know one another. He limits himself. He holds himself back. And in a day when a fiancé would get engaged, Like we said, they were treated as though they were already married, even though they weren't yet. The man's job at that point was to then go build an addition onto his parents' house, to go build a room that was stuck onto the back where he and his wife could live with their parents. And until he got that house built, he didn't get to marry her, right? So there's some motivation. You have gotta get this thing built before you're ever gonna be able to have this family. And so Joseph is probably in this process of building a house onto his parents' house so that he and Mary can actually be together. And yet even when they're ready to do that, they aren't together in the way that he had looked forward to and hoped for. Joseph is there having to process the truth of what Isaiah prophesied that your son will be called Emmanuel, that he will be called God with us. He's having to process what Paul eventually says in Romans 1. I know Tom read it, but I'm hoping that we can hear it again. That concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Joseph is right in the middle of having to process something that no one has had to process before, that God himself, the creator, has become one of his creation, that he has entered into the world, and not in like an accidental sort of, I'm going to pretend to be human until nobody, so I can get this stuff done, and then ta-da, I'm God, and then I'm going to fly off somewhere else. That's not what God does in the Incarnation. He enters into humanity, going through the very process of what it is to be conceived, to grow in a womb, to be born, to grow up as a child. And here is Joseph protecting, sheltering, enabling, and witnessing that miracle. That miracle that is second only to the the crucifixion and the resurrection. But God is here in the midst of human life, taking on human life, living it, and as He lives it, He redeems it. Do you see that? God doesn't redeem us from afar. Somebody else might be willing to come and solve your problems from like way over there in another time and another place, but that's not how God does it our God actually enters into human life and redeems it from the inside out. It's not a program, right? It's not something that we can then go, like, apply ourselves to. This redemption that we're talking about is a miracle that takes place from the inside out. It's nothing we have control over. It's nothing that we can grab and manipulate and make our own. We can only, like Joseph, say, okay, Lord, if that's what you say, then do what he asks. Name him Jesus. (laughs) Take Mary to be his wife. Because in the acceptance, Joseph is brought in to the very story that God is writing. Joseph knows that rich, Emmanuel's not here today, but, oh, he's in there, okay, he is here, (laughs) he's the, well, I don't know Hebrew for over there, Uh, (laughs) but I know Hebrew for God is here, (laughs) Emmanuel, God is with us, he's the with us God. And we can be so convinced that the stuff that catches our attention, the distractions that are other places, are more real. But I'm telling you, the most real thing is that God is with us here now. That our redemption happens from the inside of this life. We don't have to leave this life to get redeemed. We don't leave this life to get saved. We do it as we sit with the very details, the very everydayness of our life. Alright, one more piece that I've been reflecting on this week. Um, I've never heard anybody say this, so I move forward with fear and trembling. <laughs> but Joseph, Joseph is in this moment when the angel comes and says this to him, says, Take Mary as your wife. She's with child, but it's because of the Holy Spirit. He's in this moment of preparing a place for Mary, of building a house. You get it? He's the bridegroom preparing a place for the bride. Creating space where she will come and live with Him. And I can't help but think about John 14, where Jesus tells His disciples that He's going to prepare a place for them. Over and over In the New Testament, we get this picture that Jesus is the bridegroom who's coming to take his bride, and he's going to take take them to the place that he has made ready for them. And here is Joseph coming and taking Mary into this place that he's made ready for her. Jesus is even now like a betrothed, husband, building a place for us, preparing a place for us with the true Father, building on an addition to the Father's house. And He will come to get us. He will come to bring us into that home where all families will be healed, where all things will be made right, where all the brokenness and the awkwardness and the difficulty of getting together with your families during the holidays... Well, that will be exploded from the inside out. Well, there'll be no more of that because there will be no reason for us to hold on to our own selves, to our own future, to what we want for ourselves. Instead, God will be all in all. All of us will have submitted ourselves to God's desires for us and everyone will be focused in that one direction. All things will be healed. And Christ's presence will redeem all things. But just as Christ is getting that moment ready for us, He also gives us the power to wait like Joseph for the fullness of time. To be righteous in the meanwhile. Joseph waited for his his bride and he received her, looking to her best and not to his own best. By His Spirit, Christ enables us to do the same. He enables us to be a part of families that are difficult and embarrassing He enables us to shield and to protect those that are weak, those that have had shameful things happen in their lives. He enables us to welcome them in. He enables us to be a part of churches that are small and still imperfect, but to do it in the hope that Christ will not abandon His church. We are excitedly, expectantly looking forward to the home that Christ is building for us. And He will enfold every one of us who believe. He will bring every one of us who trust in Him into that place. Everyone who is willing to have Jesus as the head of their family will come into the home that Jesus is making for us. And in the meanwhile, this faith enables us to live in the light of His grace. You know, it's the darkest part of the year right now. But by Christ's grace, we are lighting candles and putting up lights on our houses as a way of saying that the darkness will not overcome us. So my question for you today, my hope, is that today you'll lay down your anxiety about the future. You'll lay down any sense that the darkness has creeped in on you and determined your life. And trust instead that Christ's light conquers over even the deepest darkness. My prayer as we come to the table today is that you will surrender control over yourself and over those close to you. And you'll trust instead that God who established Jesus' earthly family will do the same with yours. No one can protect us. No one can sustain us better than God can. But like Joseph, let us put our hope in him because he is Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Lord God, I know how deeply I am in need of you. I know how desperately I need your help. I know how deeply we fail to save ourselves so, Lord, we pray, coming to you this morning in the knowledge that we cannot save ourselves, we come to your Son, Jesus, both praising that you have saved us and asking for the strength, Lord, that the salvation would go deeper, that we would turn over any fear that is left, that we would abandon any hope in ourselves, That we would leave aside the trust we put in the structures and the families. And the people who come close to us and look only to you and pray in Christ.